Well, why don't we get started here? We're on page 64 in our notes. And let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll begin. Heavenly Father, thank you again for the time we have to study the history and the translation of the Bible. Thank you for all those who have been participating and some who are probably listening uh, to the tapes and so forth. Uh, we pray you'll guide and direct us tonight and as we finish up this class in the next few weeks that we will uh, always seek to bring honor to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. All right. Uh, let me uh, see if I can put up this screen because I did have it open. All right. Everybody see that? Yep. Yep. Okay. Um, let's look then at our quiz uh, from last week. <clears throat> Number one, the New American Bible was produced by conservative evangelicals. The New American Bible was produced by conservative evangelicals. Paul? What? Is that false? False. So I was trying to confuse you with the New American Standard Bible. The New American Bible is a Catholic Bible. Okay. The New American Bible is a Catholic Bible. It's the most used or has been the most used Catholic Bible in America. So don't confuse that with the New American Standard Bible. Some of these Bibles have similar names. Two, the New World Translation of the Holy Scriptures is a, is a theologically accurate translation. False. Nope. False. False. So that's the... Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses. Jehovah's Witnesses translation, their own translation. So when they come into your living room, they can show you John 1 1 and said, The word in the beginning was the word, that's Jesus. The word was with God, and the word was a God, small g o d, and, and give you their doctrine about how Jesus was a created being and so forth. <clears throat> Three, the Jerusalem Bible is the most widely used Roman Catholic version. I can't see that. In the what? <laughs> USA. Uh, huh? In the USA, is that what it says? Yeah. See, I can't, as we said before, I can't move you. I, I, I can, I can, let's see, I can um, minimize you there. Okay, minimize you. Um, in the USA, true or false? True. No, that's false. Yeah, false. Yes. <laughs> that's the most widely used Catholic Bible outside the USA. So, outside, yeah. The Jerusalem Bible. So the two uh, Catholic Bibles are the Jerusalem Bible and the they have a new version, the New Jerusalem Bible, and the New American Bible. Those are Catholic Bibles. Right. It's not that somebody in America might not have the Jerusalem Bible or somebody outside, you know. But that's that's commonly what's used outside of the USA and so forth. Four, the Living Bible was a great commercial success. True. 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 Yeah, millions in copies. What do you mean? Just it was a great commercial success. Though I don't think Ken Taylor was he wasn't doing it for commercial success. That wasn't his motive, but it was a success. Five, the Good News translation was originally called Good News for Modern Man. True. True. So it changed name from the good news for modern man. It had a semicolon, today's English version, TEV. So some people called it back in the days, um, TEV or today's English version, but usually good news for modern man. Then it became the good news Bible, then the good news translation. Six, the legacy standard Bible will be a revision of the new American standard Bible. True. 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 Yeah. So that's, uh, that is, uh, John MacArthur's, John MacArthur's version that he is <laughs> said that they are going, they're, they're producing out of the Master's Seminary and Master's College. All right. Let's go down to page 64. We come now to the version that we use, the new international version. And again, I've drawn that line straight down from the original Greek and Hebrew. It doesn't mean that the New American Standard is not based on the Greek and Hebrew. It is. But it's in the tradition. It follows the language and tradition of the King James. Whereas NIV was just a fresh new translation. 
not beholding to any translation before. It doesn't mean that when these translators translate, like the NIV translator, they look at every translation that's been done, most important ones in English, and just see how what they did, see how they translated things. But it's really a fresh, original translation. So let's look at that. The New Testament was 1973. As, was, as I said before, when you look at these new translations, they they start the New Testament and the Old Testament at the same time, but the Old Testament is much larger, so it takes longer to finish. So when they finish the New Testament, they publish it. And then when they finish the Old Testament, they publish both of them together in 1978, revised in 1984 and in 2011. So one, the goal of this version, this is according to what they say, was to produce a new translation that would do for one our day what the King James did for its day. It was designed to be a version that could be used in public worship for private study, for memorization as well. It was in part a conservative reaction against the RSV. So remember, when you look at that line on the left over here, look at what's on the left, uh, the King James 1769, the revised version ASV of 1901. But then we had this rise of liberalism in our country and throughout the Western world. And so <clears throat> the mainline denominations, many of them became quite liberal and that crept into Bible translation. So the RSV 1946, we had some conservatives on the committee and some liberals and some of their choices in the Old Testament, remember Isaiah 714, uh, were rejected by conservatives. So conservatives never embraced the RSV. Uh, they never picked that up. So, uh, for instance, the people in the early 1900s in conservative seminaries and Bible colleges used the ASV. Uh, Dr. McCune, the late uh, president of the seminary, dean of the seminary, who hired me when I came to the seminary in 1983, he had used the ASV in his teaching at Central Seminary. He was there for like 14 years. And he came in 81, two years before me. Uh, and so he used the ASV because they had used it at Grace Seminary where he got his doctorate. I got my doctorate. And uh, it was a very popular thing among Bible teachers. But then when the New American Standard came out, he switched. But he didn't go to the RSV in 1940. You know, the RSV was already out, but he didn't use it. And Grace Seminary, Grace Theological Seminary, Dallas Theological Seminary, both wrote papers against the RSV. They wrote booklets and papers and articles uh, rejecting the RSV. And so the New American Standard was a conservative reaction to the RSV, and so was the NIV to some degree. But the difference between the New American Standard and the NIV is the translation philosophy. They both use the same Greek and Hebrew text. They agree on that. But there's a difference of translation and philosophy. The New American Standard is more word for word. Uh, the NIV is meaning, more meaning for meaning. So we'll talk about that eventually here. Uh, number two, the NIV had its beginning in 1965, when after several years of exploratory study by committees for, for, from the Christian Reformed Church and the National Association of Evangelicals, a group of 32 evangelical biblical scholars met at Palo Alto Heights, Illinois, and concurred in the need for a new translation of the Bible in contemporary English. So it started with the Christian Reformed Church. That's a, that's a, a Dutch Reformed Church out of Grand Rapids. Christian Reformed Church is out of Grand Rapids, uh, like Calvin College, Calvin Seminary. And the National Association of Evangelicals, they got with them and they said, we need a new translation uh, that is more uh, in contemporary English, so forth. And they uh, they they gave the responsibility, as I say, for the new version was designated to a self-governing body of 15, the Committee on Bible Translation, composed for the most part of, of biblical scholars from 28 Bible colleges uh, and seminaries. <clears throat> uh, in 1968, the project came under the sponsorship of the New York Bible Society. Um, 
which changed its name to the International Bible Society in 1998 and to Biblica in 2009. So a lot of states, there is an American Bible Society, American Bible Society, and there is also some states had their own Bible Society. So the Christian Reformed Church, the National Association of Evangelicals, and others who wanted to wanted this translation, they needed they needed funding, they needed help, they needed money to fund this translation. And so they turned to the New York Bible Society. And the New York Bible Society began to fund it. And uh, so the New York Bible Society decided, well, let's change our name to the International Bible Society. <laughs> In fact, that's why we call it the New International Version. There's one reason. And so they changed their name and became the International Bible Society, and they started funding it. Eventually, they changed their name to Biblica. So now, if you go to Biblica.com, you would find their website uh, group. Now, the way this thing works is uh, the Committee on Bible Translation is responsible for the translation. That's a group of 15 Bible scholars. That committee has changed over time because this thing started in 1973. I mean, the New Testament came out in 73. And people have passed away and others have been added and so forth as time has gone on. Um, um, I mentioned on page 65 at the top, the NIV is a completely new translation by over 100 evangelical scholars. The original committee was headed up by Edward, Dr. Edward Palmer and today by Dr. Douglas Moo. So how did this, how did this happen? Um, you, you, you get a, about a, over a hundred Bible scholars to, uh, I hear an echo of myself here. Why am I hearing that, Larry? I don't know. Anyway. Uh, someone must be getting feedback. If we all mute our mics, if we're not talking, that would help. Yeah, if you're not talking, mute your, uh, uh, mute your mind. Uh, what I wanted to point out here on number three there on page 65 was that when they originally translated this, they didn't, they didn't have just 15 people translating. They divided the Bible up into sections like Genesis. And they had a couple of people working on Genesis and a couple of people working on Exodus. And that's the way they, these translations are done. All the modern translations are done. You have a group of maybe a hundred scholars working on a translation. And then when they finish, they submit their work to a larger group, like an Old Testament group, and then to a whole group. It's ultimately up to, it's ultimately up to, um, uh, I'm just looking here, boy. For some reason on the, on the screen, that word committee just looks like it's misspelled, but it's not. Uh, so ultimately they submit their work to a committee of 15 and they go over it. So people kept going over it and over it and they have English uh, experts to look at it. And the committee on Bible translation is responsible for, for changes in the future. And so the original translators, 100 translators translated. And every year this committee on Bible translation meets. And they get comments, they get suggestions from people who say, hey, this this is wrongly translated or or this could be improved or there's a better way to translate this. or And they, they keep these suggestions together. So the NIV uh, was revised in 84 and then in 2011. And the head of the committee at first was Dr. Edwin Palmer. He was a famous, well-known, I should say, conservative Bible scholar, and now it's another well-known uh, conservative Bible scholar, Dr. Doug Moo. So the Committee on Bible Translation is responsible for the translation. The copyright holder is Biblica, which is that, really that international Bible site, and Zonovan's the publisher. Now, actually, this thing almost went broke until Zonovan came in. I showed you that previous thing where the International Bible Society got involved. But they ran out of money almost, and Zondervan came in and said, we will fund this thing. We'll give you a million dollars if you give us exclusive rights to publish this. So Zondervan is the exclusive publisher of the NIV Bible translation. A lot of the translations have exclusive publishers, except for uh, the, the, the Lachman Foundation has 
at first the Lachman Foundation only allowed just one publisher. Now they have allowed a, a lot of publishers, but the NIV, the ESV is ex exclusively a, cro a crossway, <clears throat> pretty much, and Zondervan in the United States and in in other countries, it's different publishers. So uh, that's the uh, the way the the publishing and way the structure works. I say number four, the NIV is one of the most carefully done Bible translations in history. It uses a paragraph rather than the verse format, like the King James did. It seeks to bridge the gap between word for word and meaning for meaning. That word for word is technically called formal equivalence. Meaning for meaning is called functional, and we'll talk about that next week. Since 1986, it has outsold all other Bible translations, including the King James Version. So the King James Version was the best-selling Bible until 1986, from 1650 until about 1986. And then the NIV has, now the King James still sells extremely well. It's still maybe number two, sometimes three, but it's very, it still sells. But the NIV does sell more still. So this is, this is one of the bigger things. This is one of the primary reasons the, the King James movement, King James only movement, uh, became quite strong because of the popularity of the NIV. And I'll talk about that in a moment. So the, uh, Committee on Bible Translation continues to meet each year, I say. 1984, they made minor revisions and uh, proposals uh, that had accumulated over the years since 1973. Uh, they made a revision, you know, in 84, and then a more a more complete revision was made in 2011. And uh, that's the one we, uh, Pastor Ken, preaches from now is the 2011 uh, NIV. About 95% of the text uh, of the update is exactly the same. The majority of what was changed involves comparatively minor matters of vocabulary, sentence structure, punctuation. Changes that move the NIV from the English of 84 to the English of 2011. Other changes are more substantive, reflecting the advances in biblical scholarship over the last three decades. I'll give you some examples. <clears throat> For example, when most people hear alien, they think of an extraterrestrial being. So it was replaced with foreigner or similar words. Remember Genesis 23, 4, I am a foreigner and stranger among you. Well, it, you know, the older translation said, I'm an alien and stranger among you. Well, alien used to be, uh, uh, you know, it's, we used to say illegal alien. That's bad to say illegal alien. Now, what do you say? Uh, what, what is the word now for illegal aliens? Uh, undocumented, undocumented people. Undocumented, yeah, there you go. Yeah, it's 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 something like that. But anyway, alien. It's, it's something like that. But illegal anyway, immigrant. What is that? Illegal immigrant. Yeah, I think, I think yeah, you're supposed to say undocumented, yeah, uh, person. Anyway, um, that's the kind of thing that they did. So because. English changes and alien uh, sounds a little extraterrestrial. Here's another one. Uh, we now know that the word kataluma in Luke 2 7 more likely means guest room, not in. So in the older translations uh, connected with the Jesus' birth, it speaks about uh, an inn and Probably the word there is guest room. Likewise, in Mark 15, 27, we know that Jesus, the two, two men crucified with Jesus are more correctly identified as rebels. Uh, less days, uh, not, less days, not robbers. There's a difference. Robbers are people who break into places and steal things. Rebels are revolutionary. And the word there in Mark 15, 27 is really uh, these people, these two guys <clears throat> were not crooks so much as they were sort of rebels, revolutionaries, <clears throat> that kind of thing. So those are the those are the kind of changes that we make. Another one here is Philippians 4.13, changes for clarity. We're all kind of familiar with the King James. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Remember the King James. Uh, 
a more modern translation was I can do all th- I can do everything through him who gives me strength. This would be the 84 NIV. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. But the context indicates that everything is limited to the ups and downs of life, the prosperous and adverse circumstances of life. So if you've you know looked at that passage, uh, Pastor Ken has mentioned this uh, uh, in his preaching. I've heard this and mentioned this too. But uh, if you look at that passage, just sometimes you know people take it for a, I took it for a life verse. When I got saved, I took this as my life. You know, we had, back in back in the old day, we had to have a life verse. Everybody had to have a life verse. What's your life verse? Well, this is it. This is mine. Philippians four three. I can do everything, anything through Christ which strengthens me. Which means, you know, I can do anything. Well, that's not exactly true. That's not what the verse is saying. You might want to be a nuclear scientist, but it's not saying that God will <laughs> that you can necessarily do it. You might not have the aptitude for the for the mathematics or something, you know. So in the context, Paul is talking about his life as a Christian, and he talks about living in abundance, a prosperity, and living in very difficult circumstances, doing without adverse times. And he says, I can I can I can live either way. I can live when things are good, I can be joyful and and and, and I can I can endure when things are bad. So the text now reads, I can do all this. So they added that word through him who gives me strength so that we wouldn't just look at that single verse and say, I can do everything. Everything that you can imagine. I can do all this, what Paul has just been talking about. So I'm just trying to give you some instances of what Bible translators think about and why they change verses and so forth to try to clarify the context and what's being talked about. Um, here's the uh, here's another one <clears throat> that I think is fairly interesting, at least it is to me, because I've preached on this verse quite a bit. And I've spent a lot of times over the years studying a word in Romans 12, 1. It says in the NIV 1984. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And remember, the King James says, this is your reasonable service. This is your reasonable service. And here's the NIV says, this is your spiritual act of worship and that's quite seems quite different there is one word there uh, a greek word lagakos that people have spent a lot of time trying to figure out what it means i think we're pretty clear about what it means now and that's reflected in the 2011 which says this is your true and proper worship so when the king james said reasonable it meant it meant this is proper this is true so the, I think the NIV has captured it actually quite well there. This is your true and proper. It's, it's a difficult word to translate into English and to know exactly how to translate it. But I think they've done a pretty good job here. So that's the kind of thing that, that we're looking at in the changes on the 2011. All right. Let's look at the slide, slide 11 here, and we'll look now at the New King James Version. <clears throat> so, uh, New Testament 1979, the Old Testament 1982. This is also a very popular Bible. Uh, I, when it came out, I didn't think it would be all that popular personally. I, I didn't think it would be that appealing, but it's, it's very popular. It sells, it's always in the top five Bible selling, uh, sellers, uh, Bibles that sell in the publisher's list. So it's, it's, it's quite popular. Um, the New Testament is 1979. The Old Testament is 1982. Uh, Dr. McCabe and I, we were in seminary together down at Tennessee Temple and our Old Testament professor, Dr. Price was the chairman of the Old Testament committee of this translation. So we're quite familiar with it. 
This is a revision of the 1769 King James Version by 100 evangelical scholars. Again, modern translations start with a lot of scholars who are dividing the Bible up into books and translating individual books. And then those books are sent to a working group that looks through them and revises them into a higher group and so forth. The impetus apparently came from the president of Thomas Nelson Publishers. The, the man who owned Thomas Nelson then was a man named Samuel Moore, Sam Moore. And he wanted a more readable version of the King James Version. And the purpose was to produce an updated King James that followed the original sentence structure as closely as possible, preserving as much as possible the original. I'm not sure they did that exactly. They, it departs from the King James some, somewhat, but I don't know. A little, it seems to me more than that description says, but maybe not. The intention was to clarify the King James by the use of current words, grammar, idioms, and sentence structure. So this edition of the King James would speak to the individual reader in a clearer and more accurate manner. And it does. So the new King James, when it came out, it is in more modern English. It's, it's, uh, it uses more modern English. It's still the King James. You can still tell that, but it's much more readable, vastly more readable for the average person than the King James Version. I say number two, unfortunately, at least in my opinion, it uses the same textual base as the New Testament, as the King James, the Texas Receptus. So remember this diagram here, that the King James Version was based on a very few, or at least the the Texas Receptus, Erasmus's Texas Receptus of 1516, he had very few Greek manuscripts, and all of them were very late. He didn't have anything earlier than 1200. Most of them were 1400, 1500. So he didn't have any manuscripts earlier than the year 1000. And uh, he produced a Greek text, and that was used for the King James. But over time, more manuscripts were discovered. And that first translation to use those was the revised version of 1881. It's sometimes called the eclectic text because you look at all the manuscripts and you see from all the manuscripts which reading of the text is most likely the original reading. So most all modern translations are based upon the same Greek and Hebrew text, the eclectic text, uh, New American Standard, NIV, ESV, so forth except for the King James Version. So Sam Moore was afraid that if they were to change the Greek text, they would lose support. He didn't want to do that, so they've used the Texas Receptus. Now, in the footnotes of the King James, or the New King James, and they have footnotes, and they'll indicate in the footnotes places where the reading is different from what's in the reading, say, in the eclectic text there, the reading of most manuscripts. So it's very kind of helpful there. It'll it'll tell you what other, in many places, a lot of places, it'll tell you most places, important places, where the Greek text differs. So this, is, this has become uh, more popular than I ever thought it would because um, it... Um, it, it's uh, it's based on the same Greek text, and so when the when the King James only movement came along, which I'm going to talk about right now on page 66, when the King James movement came along, <clears throat> a lot of pastors uh, were fearful of moving to another translation like the New American Standard because it used a different Greek text, and there was a lot of opposition to this. Uh, There was a feeling that the Greek text behind the King James was the correct text, even though it's, it's, it's older, but even though it's based on very few manuscripts, it was still felt there was a strong bias for that. And so many pastors felt they wanted to solve the big problem with the King James. The big problem is archaic language, remember? 
the difference in the Greek text are not that not that great. <clears throat> the big problem for the English reader, for you and I, for, for English readers who are reading reading a Bible, is the King James is has that old English, uh, uh, you know, Elizabethan English, archaic English that is difficult for modern folks to understand. So the King, New King James solves that. So it's a much better situation. So there are a number of churches. Uh, I've been in churches, many churches that use the New King James. Uh, in fact, when I was a seminary and I would go out to preach, I, I had to sometimes preach the King James, sometimes the New King James, sometimes the New American Standard, sometimes the ESV, sometimes the NIV. I think I preached <laughs> in about five different translations depending upon which church I was at. So there was, that was not true when I was first saved coming along. It's all King James, of course, and that kind of thing. So on page uh, 66, uh, I'm comparing the new King James with the old King James. You can kind of see uh, what they've done and tried to stay. They have tried to stay pretty close to the uh, King James version. I want to talk now about what I've hinted at a long time, and that's the King James only movement. And I've got an excursus here, and I want to try to uh, deal with that and talk about it a little bit and and, uh, explain to you what I think is going on. I've got some slides here I think will illustrate what I'm trying to explain. So as I say here, uh, one of the issues that still troubles many churches today is the King James only error. I say it's troubling because uh, uh, many churches, you know, are King James only and they blast any church that uses another translation. It's very difficult for missionaries who want to go out and get support because some churches will not support you unless you commit to the King James Version, that kind of thing. And we have many King James only churches in our area. Uh, though I say King James only can mean different things. By my use of the terminology, and, and people will say different things about King James only, but I think this is the correct definition. I'm specifically referring to the belief that only the King James version of the Bible is the word of God. So that's the key. That's the point. That, that that's the idea that divides King James only people from others. If you're King James only, you say only the King James version is the word of God. The view argues that all other versions or translations are so corrupt that they're not to be used nor be appealed to as the word of God. And there are many, 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 many churches that believe that and stated, if you go to their website, you'll find it. I'll look at their doctrinal position. It'll say right at the beginning, we're King James only. We only use the King James. Because they really believe that only the King James is the word of God. Everything else is corrupt and not to be used. Now, you'll find people and pastors and others who say, I prefer the King James. And, uh, you know, they honestly may do that. They honestly do that. But most of what we, when we talk about King James only, we're talking about people who, say only the King James is the word of God, can be called the word of God. Translations like the New American Standard Bible, the English Standard Version, King James, New King James Version, or the New International Version are not the word of God and thus should never be used in church, certainly not in the pulpit. They are to be despised and rejected wholesale. They're ultimately Satan's attempt to destroy the word of God. So these King James only people don't even like the New King James. Now that's interesting because if you'll notice, the New King James Version is translated from exactly, and I mean absolutely exactly, the same Greek and Hebrew manuscripts that the King James is translated from. So you would think, well, well, wait a minute. If they're using the same Greek text, they object to the eclectic text, why wouldn't they accept the New King James? Well, really because ultimately it's about the wording of the English. It ultimately comes down to the fact that, practically speaking, the wording wording of the English is inspired, and you can't change the wording of the English, but we'll talk more about that in a moment. 
I say it's probably impossible to know when the King James only era began. Like many movements, theological and otherwise, there's usually never a specific beginning date that one can point to. They begin slowly over time, pick up steam, and often peter out. But if I had to pick a specific date for the beginning, I would say May 17, 1881. Now, we've seen that date before. In 1870, the Church of England decided <clears throat> to embark on a new revision of the King James Version. While the King James Version New Testament had been translated from the Texas Receptus, this new reversion closely followed the Greek text that was prepared by B.F. Westcott and F.J. Hort. That was the revised version of 1881 we talked about. So the Church of England <clears throat> produced in 1881 the revised version based on the Greek text of Westcott and Hort, published in England May 17, 1881. So this is the first real challenge to the King James, the dominance of the King James. It never, it never uh, overturned the King James, as we've said. It was not all that popular. Um, uh, remember Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon's comment was, it's strong in Greek and weak in English. Strong in Greek, weak in English. So it never overturned. But it was a bow shot across the dominance of the King James Version. I say here the Revised Version differed from the King James Version in a number of places where the Revised Version followed the newer Greek text. There was immediate opposition to the RV and this newer Greek text on which it's based. The chief opponent of the textual changes was John William Bergen, Dean of Chester, Chester. Previously, it is primarily with the writings of Bergen that the King James Version only movement finds its origins. So John Bergen, commonly called Dean Bergen, Dean is an ecclesiastical title in the Church of England. And so Dean Bergen, there were others who opposed the RV, but he wrote books, articles, wrote articles, and they're put into books, and his books are still in print. Of course, they're available free on the Internet now. And he wrote books attacking the revised version of 1881. <clears throat> he attacked the Greek text and he attacked the English text. I say though there was criticism of the English language updating of the King James Version in the RV. It was the changes introduced by the departure from the TR that provoked the strongest opposition. Now, there's still opposition based upon changing the English, just changing English, but... Uh, um, it was primarily that change of the Greek text. As I said, this dissent was led by John Bergen, or Dean Bergen. Although Bergen thought the TR needed some minor correction, he did not believe it was very far from the original writings, and thus he strenuously objected to the number of textual changes introduced by the RV. Bergen believed the Church of England was the true church and that the correct text is to be found in what the Church of England, through its bishops, have preserved. Now, Bergen himself did not believe that the Texas Receptus produced by Erasmus was an inspired, infallible text that could not be changed. Uh, but his followers in the King James Only movement believe that. They don't like it when you bring up the fact that Bergen will some, you can have quotes where John Bergen will say, the Texas Receptus needs correction. <clears throat> He'll say that. In fact, I've talked to and debated King James only people about this and, and they kind of him haul around because Bergen is their hero, hero. They're using his writings, but he himself was not as strong as they are today. Now, now King James only proponents say the King James is inspired and errant and the text on which it's based, the TR, is perfect and doesn't need any changes. Um, so uh, he he did accept that fact, but he thought that it was much better. The text of Receptus was much better than than the text of the eclectic text. 
he was a strong believer in the traditions and history and apostolic succession. The Church of England, just like the Roman Catholic Church and the High Church, they believe in apostolic succession. That is, the truth is passed on through the bishops of the church. And so he believed that the Church of England produced the King James of 1611 and its revisions, 1769, so forth. And that, therefore, um, that was the correct text and it shouldn't be changed in 1881. So he was very strongly opposed. So if you read anything King James only literature today, you'll run across his name. I say what's interesting to contemplate is that there may have been a King James only movement, even if the RV had been had been translated from the TR. Moving from the TR to the eclectic text was certain to be an issue. But by this time, the actual words of the King James had taken on the status of an infallible sacred text not to be disturbed. Bergen was totally opposed to any attempt to revise the King James, except possibly by way of some marginal notes. And he forcefully argues that nothing should be allowed to supersede our present English Bible. <clears throat> so he, he was, you know, he was pretty close where King James only people are today. They won't allow any changes. Excuse me. Any changes in the text to the King James at all. Any corrections, any modifications. I say it's primary the appearance of the New English translations of the Bible, top of page 67, that challenges the official status of the King James Version, which has become the impetus for the King James only movement. This was true for Bergen, and it's just as true for modern day King James only proponents. This is clearly seen in their rejection of the King James, New King James Version, which although translated from the TR, just like the New the King James Version, is nevertheless universally rejected because it does not follow precisely the wording of what is viewed as the perfect, infallible King James Version. Even with the criticism of Bergen and others, the RV was initially well-received in England and America. Though the RV was initiated by the Church of England, a group of 34 American scholars assisted in the project. They disagreed with some of the translation decisions, and these were placed in an appendix to the RV. In 1901, the Americans produced their own edition of the RV, incorporating their preferences, which eventually became known as the American Standard Version, 1901. The King James Only Movement in America today is almost exclusively tied to fundamentalist, to the fundamentalist movement. So early fundamentalism was clearly not King James Only. That's important because remember, we had this division at the end of the 19th century, the beginning of the 20th, between liberals, called modernists then, modernists, and fundamentalists, the modernist-fundamentalist controversy. The modernists rejected important doctrines like the inspiration of scripture, the virgin birth, the bodily resurrection, uh, literal second comings, things like that. Um, the uh, the early fundamentalists were not King James only. The name fundamentalism was not coined until 1920 by Curtis Lee Laws, but the founding documents of the movement can be traced to a series of 12 volumes produced between 1910 and 1915 titled The Fundamentalist, A Testimony to the Truth. You can still find these on the Internet. The 90 essays, there were a series of essays, quote from the King James version, but also from the RV and the ASV. So what were these fundamentals? These were a series of essays by conservative Bible scholars and pastors designed to refute modernism or liberalism that was creeping into the churches and taking over denominations. The essay on the inspiration of the Bible by James M. Gray, now that's the, he was the president of Moody Bible Institute, affirms, he says, let it be stated in this definitional connection, the record for those for for whose inspiration we contend is the original record. The autographs are parchments of Moses, David, Daniel, Matthew, Paul, or Peter, as the case may be, and not any particular translation or translations of them, whatever. There is no translation absolutely without error, nor could there be. Now that's from the founders of fundamentalism. Uh, 
James M. Gray, President of Moody Bible Institute. So the original fundamentalists that is that's where my heritage is from. I came from fundamentalist background, fundamentalist church, went to fundamental institutions. <laughs> all the ones I went to were fundamentalist institutions. Uh, all the schools I went to. Uh, and I've taught at, for that matter. So um, the original um, founders of this movement who were opposing modernism or liberalism did not believe that, you know, the King James was perfect or without error. But one of these contributors to the fundamentals was a converted lawyer named Philip Morrow. He wrote three essays, one of which is titled Life in the Word in volume five. Like other contributors, Morrow occasionally quotes from the revised version approvingly. However, by 1924, Morrow had had a dramatic shift in his thinking as seen in the publication of his book, Which Version Authorized or Revised? The material in Morrow's book is not particularly original, but simply a rehashing of Dean Bergen's arguments. Now, Dean Bergen published a, a book called The Revised Version. Uh, Morrow quotes Bergen 41 times. Whereas Morrow previously quoted the RV approvingly, now he strongly condemns it for making 36,000 changes, he claims, in the King James Version and asks the questions on what authority. Here we see the common assumption of all King James-only proponents. The King James Version possesses some sacrosanct authority whose text is immutable. Morrow correctly observes that by 1924 it had become clear that neither the revised version nor the American version, the ASV, was going to offer any real competition to the popularity of the King James Version. So although Morrow's book demonstrates the presence of King James-only sympathies in the USA in the early part of the 20th century, the dominance of the King James Version meant there was not much for the King James-only advocates to be concerned about. But this initial victory of the King James only over the RV and the American ASV was only was not destined to last. So what am I trying to show here? I'm trying to show that all this gets started primarily with Dean Bergen, who writes his books, just uh, who argues against the revised version and the ASV and so forth. Early fundamentalists were not King James only, but gradually over time. Uh, people like Morrow pick up his arguments. Now, there may have been others. It's hard to trace the history of this and know all the books that may have been written, but Morrow is the prime example of a guy who changed his mind. He read Bergen's books and said, hey, we shouldn't be making these changes in the King James Version. But it, did, it doesn't, you can find his, his book is still on the internet if you want to read it, which version authorized or revised is on the on the internet for free but uh, it didn't raise any particular problems when i was saved you know during the 60s uh there was no king james i mean i never heard about king james only movement there were books written in the 50s about the king james arguing picking up morrow's arguments picking up bergen's arguments but there was no big dispute about it because all the churches, conservative churches, used the King James Version. That was true in the 60s. But then in, in the 70s, in the 60s, in the late 60s, the 70s, you get the New American Standard, then you get the NIV, and all of a sudden these new versions begin to challenge the dominance of the King James Version. And the new, the the King James Ver only King James Version only movement, KJV only movement, starts picking up steam in the late 60s, in the 70s, then 80s, and, and just keeps picking up steam and so forth. As I say in the last paragraph, in the last, in the middle and latter, latter half of the 20th century, there began a regular publication stream of new English Bibles based on older Greek manuscripts rather than the TR. It is this steady publication of new English Bibles that mainly accounts for the continued existence and growth of the King James only movement. Um, 
The first of these Bibles was the Revised Standard Version, remember, 1946, whose New Testament was published in 46. The RSV was itself a revision of the RV, the Revised Version that Bergen was so upset about. Um, the Revised Version was a revision of the RV and particularly the ASV. The RSV presented a new challenge to the dominance of the King James Version. Moody Bible Institute, page 68, magazine Moody Monthly, we've talked about this, praised the RSV in 1946. So here's the conservative Moody Monthly praising the RSV 1946. Even the well-known fundamentalist leader John L. Rice promoted the RSV. So these fundamentalists, these early fundamentalists like John L. Rice, here's John L. Rice uh, in the 1950s even, promoting the RSV in the, in, the, in the fundamentalist paper called The Soul of the Lord. So these fundamentalists in the 19, late 40s and the 50s, they were not King James only. But about that time, a stream of King James on literature began to appear. Uh, Jasper James Ray wrote, God wrote only one Bible. And you can guess which one that is, 1955. Edward F. Hills, the King James Version, <coughs> defended David Otis Fuller, which Bible? That's the first Bob book I ever read on this myself was called Which Bible? And I can remember where I was and when I read it. <laughs> I was in college and I was, it was a weekend. It was rainy. I was in Chattanooga. And I got that book and I read it and I was totally convinced about the King James. <laughs> it's the only book I ever read on it, never heard anything about it. But David O. Fuller was a pastor in Grand Rapids. Wealthy Street Baptist Church is kind of a large GARBC church in Grand Rapids, and he was a longtime pastor. Peter Ruckman, the most famous King James only advocate of all time, I suppose, wrote a book down in from Pensacola, Florida. Though the RSV was popular in mainline churches, it was not widely accepted in evangelicalism and not at all in fundamentalism. <coughs> I say next, the King James only movement exploded in the 1970s and 80s. Again, it was the appearance of new English Bibles threatening the privileged position of the King James Version that explains the growth of the movement. It began with, a solid, with the publication of the solidly, solidly conservative New American Standard Bible in 1963, which, like the RSV, was a revision of the ASV. More influential was the New King, new King James Version in 1979, while the new SB it used the same Greek text, or the older Greek text, the new King James is based on the TR, the same Greek text as the King James. But no matter, King James' only proponents criticized the new King James Version just as vehemently as they do the New American Standard. Why? Because the new King James Version, though translated from the same Greek and Hebrew text, nevertheless departs from the sacrosanct, word, sacrosanct words, of the, words of the King James Version. So it's these new versions that are popping up. And what happens is people in churches are having a hard time reading their King James versions and they're looking at other versions. They're looking at the New American Standard. They're looking at the New King James. And they're particularly looking at the NIV. And uh, now, we, again, we talked about the New King James. You'd think the, the King James only movement would say, well, the New King James should be all right. It's based on the same Greek and Hebrew text, but they don't. In fact, you'll, if you read much literature about this, you'll, they'll try to say the New King James is not based on the same Greek text. It's not. It's not. Well, that's a lie. It's based on exactly the same Greek text, same Hebrew text as the King James. But they're trying to make arguments against it because they want to defeat it. And they don't like it because it's not the exact words of the King James only. The King James Only movement really is about the inspired words of the King James Only. Now, some King James Only people will call the King James itself inspired. Um, in fact, Peter Ruckman said that the King James version correct, cor corrects errors in the original Greek. 
Now think about that for a moment. Peter Ruckman said that the translators of the King James actually corrected errors in the Greek text. Now that's, that's unbelievable that you could <laughs> say that, but, uh, that's what, what's what he said. So the King James only holds that the words themselves cannot be changed of the King James version. But it was these new translations, and I said in that paragraph, but dwarfing the impact of the versions was the 1973 publication of the New International Version. While there have been many English versions of the Bible published since 1611, no English translation ever came close to challenging the dominance of the King James Version until the NIV. In 1986, the NIV the NIV did what no other version had been able to do in almost 400 years outside the King James Version. The NIV, and, and because of that, because of the dominance of the NIV, New American Standard, New King James, this riles up the King James only people and they produce a lot of literature and they have websites and they continue to talk about it. Uh, the NIV now consistently outsells the King James Version, though not quite as popular, sir, Though not quite as popular, even the newer translations like the English Standard Version, the New Living Translation, and the Christian Standard Bible, we'll get to those, are selling well, providing further fuel for King James-only advocates. 25 years ago, I thought the King James-only movement would begin to die out as these new English versions started to take hold among conservative Christians. And more churches made the switch from the King James Version, which is in fact happening. But now I think I was wrong, or at least much too early in my prediction. The King James Version still sells very well, usually second behind the NIV. And the King James only advocates seem just as vocal and numerous as ever. Googling the King James Version only produces more than 33 million hits when I wrote this a few months ago. It appears they will always be with us. They'll be with, with us for a long time. One final thing, if we, you know, one of the things that the King James only movement, one of the ways they try to make their argument is to say, these other versions produce a different Bible. They're not the word of God. They're theologically in error. They're wrong. They'll lead you down the wrong road. <clears throat> now, I, I did this same thing with the doctrinal statement of the Detroit Baptist Theological Seminary, which has about... 900 verses but i went to the our own doctrinal statement our own doctrinal statement uses 270 verses that are cited 275 verses are cited and you can you can look up those verses in the king james version the new king james the new american standard the english standard version the niv the christian standard you can look them up in any of these versions and you don't get a different truth. You know what I'm saying? The theological truths that are presented that we hold dear in our doctrinal statement, all those truths, those <laughs> precepts that are stated there, they're still the same in any one of these versions. So these differences are not doctrinal differences. Yeah, sometimes the differences are differences in wording. And meaning, there are certainly differences and slight meaning differences, but not in doctrine, not in, not in our doctrinal statement. So that's very important to observe that, uh, we, we are, we are not, uh, because we use the NIV, we could switch to the ESV and be fine or the New American Standard. You know, we could switch our versions. It wouldn't change our doctrine or anything like that. The reason I think Pastor Ken started with the NIV was when you're trying to reach unchurched people, people who don't have any church background. I mean, I meet people all the time who say, you know, I, the King, the King James, I can just understand that better. Uh, I don't, I can't believe that for a second, but they, they tell me, you know, the King James is just much easier to understand. Than, than NIV. Well, that's nonsense. But that's, you know, if you're raised in church all your life, you're born up, you're raised up on the King James, you're, you're, you know, you can do that. But Pastor Ken was trying to reach unchurched people, you know, not trying to grab people. But 
get people who have, who have never been in church or very little church who don't have any Christian background. Well, there you really want something like the NIV, especially that is in modern, you know, colloquial English that people can generally understand. The Bible is difficult enough. You know, it's, it takes some under, it takes some teaching. That's why we have teachers and so forth to teach us, uh, and to help us. But, uh, that's the reason I think, uh, I know we use the NIV at our church, but we could switch to these others and it wouldn't change what we teach or anything. Well, any questions about that? Um, I thought of one. I didn't look to see if you have it covered in here, but um, some of the more even modern trends, like the oh, you do have Net Bible, Christian Standard. Okay, you're gonna get it. We gotta get there. <laughs> I, I decided to introduce this right here, Larry, because of the echo or something. Yeah, we're getting yeah, the microphone then. Who's my it's your mic sign. You're going to get an echo. Yeah. Shut your mic. Who's my? Okay. So, um, I don't know. Anyway, Larry, the reason I did it was because we just covered the New King James Version, and so it seemed to kind of appropriate. But uh, yeah, we're going to cover the Net Bible and the Message and some others here as we go along. All right. If we're good, then we'll stop for tonight. And we've gone over a little bit. But Glad everybody's well, and we'll see you next week, Lord willing, willing, same same station. station. All right. All right. Good night, night, everyone. All right. Take care. Take care. Good night. Good night. All right. It's like a contest to see who leaves last. (laughs) Well, I didn't want to end the meeting. I didn't want to end the meeting in case somebody. Oh, is it over? <laughs> hey, wake up, Did mom! Bed. Just wake, mom! Just wake you wake up. up bed. Wake oh, up, there's Larry. Up, hey, uh, Bill. Yeah. Uh, your sound. Some sometimes I can hear you real clear, but then some. Then it, I don't know. Were you uh, moving your mic around, or do you have an ear mic, or what? I got AirPods in. How was it, Larry? Did you notice anything? Yeah, I was able to hear you fine the whole time. I wonder if something happened uh, on your side with volume, because I, I was hearing you pretty consistent the whole time. Okay. I heard him go up and down. Did you? Hmm. Yeah. You know what I wonder if it was? Uh, I had on speaker view for a while. That's the view that the the um, Zoom will put up whoever's talking. Yeah. And Larry and Dad, both of you, you came up on mine as if noise was happening in your house. And so if you're not muted and noise happens in your house, it it prioritizes your sound. And so it turns your speaker off to avoid an echo so that you can talk and be heard. So I I wonder if having your mic unmuted, if there was background noise, noise outside or a TV or something that could have caused you to not hear Bill. It just sounded like he uh, got further away from his mic or he turned his turned his head or something then no it wouldn't it wouldn't affect how I turned my head or anything yeah yeah it's, okay. it's the same like distance. One on each side yeah it's it's the same distance but what Larry says I think is true I the best way to do this would be for me to mute all of you and uh let you use your push to talk but uh as I told Larry on 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 a computer if I mute you and you press your space bar then you can talk you have like a push to talk, but I, and not everybody's using a computer. And I don't know if the, if the phones or the iPads have a push to talk or not, but what we should do, I should say is please mute yourself unless you want to speak and then unmute yourself, you know, and everybody keep themselves muted because that maybe that's what the problem is. Maybe somebody was talking or there, there was times, uh, uh, Ed, I remember when I heard sound, from other people in the, in the group. And when their sound came up, I'm sure my voice was, was muted. My voice was, was, uh, was trying to push through, but sound was coming from, from their mic, their, their mic. So um, that might have been the problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is a feature of uh, Zoom is it tries to prioritize the audio of whoever's talking. So right now my screen if you have it in multi view, my screen right. has a highlight on it. Yeah. If you have it in speaker view, I come to the top. 
And so if two people try to talk over one another, it does kind of get somebody's yeah. going to win and lose that. Somebody's going to win, yeah. Well, if I put my mine on mute right now, I should be able to hear you better. Is that what you're saying? Well, so. you're probably you're probably not the problem. It's the problem is other people who don't have theirs on mute, and then some noise happens in their room, or they move, or they say something. I heard comments from others. Maybe they laugh, or they, or they say something, or somebody says something to them, and then their audio is prioritized, as Larry says. Right. And you're hearing okay. you're hearing them over me. Mm-hmm. So next yeah. time, I should tell everybody, mute your mute your audio. Yeah. And if you want to speak, then unmute yourself. And because I could tell. Well, Sharon, Sharon listened in on the lesson, so she wants partial credit for the class. Oh, uh, does she? Okay. Yeah. So can you... <laughs> I'll take the test next week. <laughs> well, the way I take tests, I just, I just say, uh, yes. I say true to everything. So. <laughs> Half right. <laughs> yeah, I remember Compton used to give those tests. They were always all true. You know. <laughs> yeah, I'm I was thinking about. At, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I'm looking at. I logged in on my phone, so you can kind of see I've got two things going here. And yeah. I'm able to just tap the screen and see a mute in the bottom left corner. Yeah. So it should be able to be a. Still, not as obvious as a space bar. Yeah. Well, I'll just have I'll I'll try to remember to make everybody mute, and if I if I hear people are not muted, I'll find out who they are. Well, that sounds a lot better. What how how you're sounding right now sounds a little bit better. Does it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, there's probably no competition. Everybody else is muted, or at least yeah. uh, Larry's muted. Both Larry's all mute, muted. You're not muted, and I'm not I'm muted. I'm playing with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, Larry and I are muted, or were when he said that, so that would support what yeah. you're saying. Since the other people were muted, he was hearing you better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that would be it. Okay, um, good job. Are, is next week the last week, or are you going to go? You're going to you're going to go a couple more. Well, I thought maybe next week would be the last one, but uh I'm not sure now because I took longer on that King James only than I thought. So we may we may finish next week. We'll see. It could be. It'll be next week or you know, it might be next week. You know. Yeah. We may push through and just go ahead and finish because we've got sixty eight to uh not too many pages to go here. Oh. So well, just make it a one, make it a uh, hour and fifteen minute class. Hour yeah, and yeah, we'll pro- we'll probably finish. Through. We'll probably finish through because we don't have that much, so we might as well just finish it up next week. Yeah, we'll do that next week. Well, I'll have to bring an extra diet coke. Hang in a little longer. <laughs> <laughs> All right, take care, All right. everybody. Good night, everybody. Right. Good night. Be safe. Bye. Bye bye.